LF podcast, where we're focused on fashion, fitness, and of course food. This podcast is all about bringing these three parts of your life together to help you get the most out of your passions. We're here to help you look your best, feel great, and also indulge in some maybe not so hidden temptations. <laughs> we are by no means experts in any of these fields, but we do hope to bring people to the show who know what they're talking about and can help you with some of these aspects of your life. You only live once, so why not live a life worth living? On the show today, we have Emily Liu of Cultivite. She helps corporate professionals figure out what they really want and put in the framework to snag that dream job. She's focused on helping you build a resilient mindset and applying the latest job search strategies to tap into the 85% of hidden job market. The best jobs are never advertised without needing to ever write a cover letter ever again. Ooh, interesting. She's also the creator of the Happily Hired Formula, a comprehensive step-by-step group coaching program that teaches you how to master the job search. She's a trusted career coach at The Muse, and her career advice can be found at outlets such as Forbes, Business Insider, Bustle, Fairy Godboss, and Incorporated. She didn't always know career coaching was her calling, though. In fact, in college, she aimlessly piled on 18 credit hours every semester, hoping to figure out her calling. When senior year approached, and she remembered feeling just as lost as many freshman year students do. And she wondered multiple times, can't someone just tell me what to do? Well, life is a funny way of waking itself out. After recruiting for six years across Fortune 500 companies in Silicon Valley's hottest startups, she's had the unique opportunity to learn all about types of jobs she never knew existed before and see how candidates and employees get hired and promoted. After learning the ins and outs of the recruiting process, she knew it was time to help job seekers learn practical skills to personally and professionally develop in all stages of their careers. Sit back and relax and enjoy this fantastic conversation with Emily Liu. So today we're uh, sitting down with Emily Liu of Cultivite. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? Ah, it's great. It's finally summer here in Chicago. We have like 80 oh, yeah. degrees. Finally, we're shorts after work, but not in the office. I guess that's a no-no in a, an office where you work on the phone. <laughs> Yeah, the sun is finally coming out to play. It's been June gloom here in LA, but today the sun is out and I actually went out for the first time (laughs) this week. Well, tell us what you do in one to two sentences. Sure. So I basically am a career happiness coach that helps ambitious corporate professionals really design and achieve their dream jobs. So how did you get into this? Like, this seems like a pretty interesting kind of career path to take. Um, Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard of career mentors. I've heard of life coaches. But a lot of times life coaches kind of have like a negative stigma. Um, Mm -hmm. People kind of joke about it. They say people are life coaches because they can't get their own life together. (laughs) So they try to control other people's. How did you kind of get into this realm? I mean, obviously you have a great following on LinkedIn. That's kind of how we met and things seem to be going really well for you and and your business. How did you kind of, uh, kind of get into this at the beginning? Yeah, thanks for asking. And actually, I was going to say that life coaches, I used to hear the stigma that they're just like an expensive friend. <laughs> but it's actually more than that, which I'll get into. But basically, when I started my business, um, I think it makes sense to talk about what led me to that. So yeah. about seven years into my career, I started to really 
recruit for really big companies like the Facebooks, the Googles, as well as a lot of the Silicon Valley startups. And Mm -hmm. it was really interesting in the beginning. And I had always wanted to help people. And I thought it was making such a big difference. But after a while of seeing the recruiting process, I started to realize wow, for every one person I'm actually helping, I'm rejecting hundreds of others. <laughs> and I'm never giving them like positive feedback or the truthful feedback. And I strongly believe that in order to improve, we must know what we need to improve upon. And I recognize that as a recruiter, I just didn't have the bandwidth to do that. And quite frankly, it wasn't in my job description. So basically, It's a long story, but I also had a really toxic work environment that I actually had to navigate through. And this is kind of crazy because I used to recruit for people who would tell me about these crazy, like negative bosses or just the most unprofessional things happening. And I never fully understood it until I experienced it. And it just was so eye-opening that, oh my goodness, um, there's a really systemic problem in organizations where people who should be professional just aren't acting professional, right? And uh, basically that all led me to kind of venture out on my own and start Cultivate, which at the time was really focused on the play on words for cultivate your life. Um, I basically started as a career consultant because I was helping people with their resume and their LinkedIn. Everybody who thought they needed a new job was like, I just need a resume and LinkedIn. So I used to help them with that. But then after a while, um, after coaching hundreds of people now, I started to realize that wow, people don't need just a resume and LinkedIn. Um, They really need help with boosting their confidence again or really recognizing all of the their own self-awareness, but also the different options they have in any given situation, even if somebody is really toxic to you at work. And so I went to get my coaching certification, uh, which in general, like coaching certification is kind of like life coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really a powerful tool to help people with their inner blocks. And I think there's a misconception that a lot of people believe everything we're not getting in our like in terms of what we want to achieve is blocked by external things. Like we don't have time. We don't have the best pedigree. Maybe we're too, um, like we don't have enough experience or we need that credential or that skill set. But a lot of it is actually internal. Like we block ourselves. And that's what I really learned as a coach. And now when I work with my clients, I really work with them on focusing in the internal blocks as well as the external. So yeah, like everybody wants strategy. So yeah, I'll help them with that. And we'll craft like their resume, their networking pitch and their job search strategies. But I only work with people when they do all of that. And in addition, we really get through and cut through all of the noise that's inside their heads, thinking that maybe I'm too old. I'm not good enough. You know, I'm behind in my career. I regret doing this. And those are the things that I really feel passionate about um, helping move professionals through because those are actually what change their current circumstances um, so that even if they are in a negative work environment, they can see, wow, I actually have options on how I want to combat this. Yeah, you definitely see like all the time like people quoting this on LinkedIn and Facebook and whatnot. Like people don't leave bad jobs, they leave like bad managers. But mm-hmm. you can read that a thousand times or post a thousand times. A lot of people you guys know this like don't know what their options are. So it's like yeah. I could quit, but then one of my friends always uses this analogy. She's like, you jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. Just like, yeah. oh, I just quit because like, I didn't like my boss and then I needed a job. So I 
I took this job and I, I looked at all the good things, like they paid me and, you know, it was a job and I took it and now it's like, oh, this is not a good situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of at that stage after seeing like this pattern, you have to ask like, what is the one constant, right? And typically it's something deeper down inside of us that we haven't resolved. And so we're continuously seeing it over and over and over again. How do you get a lot of your clients? Is it people, like what kind of what triggers someone to come work for you, right? So let's say I wanted to change my job. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, well, I could just put my resume on CareerBuilder or LinkedIn. What's kind of people's decision process to like make the jump to contact you, to decide yeah. to be a client of yours? Because a lot of people like in the job search like, oh, it takes time and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then at some point you get super frustrated and then how, how does it kind of all fall into place? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say that people find me. I've been really lucky. Like a lot of people just find me through referrals. Um, a lot of my previous clients will shout me out and people will be like, Oh, I actually need some help in my career too. And so, um, that kind of has been a majority of where I get my clients from, but I would say the others are just from me writing and publishing articles with helpful career advice so that people can find me. Um, so it's kind of organic. And then I have people who just tell me I Googled, um, career coach and you popped up. <laughs> so it's kind of all over the, um, all over the place, but I think it's really cool how, you know, on LinkedIn, it used to be like six degrees of separation, but now it's like three degrees yeah. and it's even <laughs> smaller than that. Um, cause the internet connects us all. So, um, I've been really fortunate in that, but what I would say is I work with people of all ages and stages and across all industries, but the common thread is that most people are recognizing, wow, I am not happy where I'm at. Um, and I've been trying to go at it on my own for some time without any success. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for job seekers, this looks like I've been applying online and I haven't been getting a single interview. I was actually just talking to somebody who has a terrific background and not not um, getting any interviews for the past eight months, despite applying online every single week to hundreds of jobs. And so, um, you know, they're really looking for fresh strategies and really understanding how do I navigate this job market? Um, how do I beat out the applicant tracking system? How do I make a pivot when I don't have all the skill sets yet? I know I can do the job. And so um, that's really where I come in and really help them and look at their background and see what the gaps are and then put together this proven step-by-step process that allows them to actually understand how to job search and build these skill sets that were quite frankly not taught in college. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's quite amazing because a lot of the clients I work with, um, even in this current job search, you know, they think they landed their dream job, but then I'll get emails from them two or three years later and they say, oh my gosh, I landed my other dream job. And <laughs> I like didn't even have to apply online. They found me on LinkedIn and reached out, right? So I I love helping people on the career transition front. Um, I also have people who come to me for career clarity. Like a lot of people know what they don't want, but mm-hmm. they can't really pinpoint what it is they do want. So I really coach them through understanding how do you discover your calling? How do you find that zone of genius? And how do you really leverage um, all of your past experiences to build a case of why a company needs to hire you? And then 
the final thing is I do have um, not as many as job seekers, but I do have some professionals who are actually really happy in their current organization, but mm. they want to make sure that they set themselves up for success and getting promotions, or um, sometimes it's even as simple as I just want more work-life balance. I want to avoid burnout. I want to become more assertive or confident. And so I help them with more of the personal and professional development aspects, um, which I think is really important because a lot of us are, a lot of companies, I should say, don't really provide this type of mentorship or training or, you know, we, we hear a lot about executive coaches who work with executive teams, but mm -hmm. for a lot of like um, I would guess like in individual contributors, unless you're paying out of pocket for your own coach, you're really not able to get these tools that are going to help you propel your career in the right direction. I think almost every time I talk to someone who wants to join a company that's middle level, entry level, or maybe even a little bit senior, the discussion of like mentorship comes up. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not super ingrained with a lot of companies here in town, People say they have it, right? I mean, there's one company I actually, uh, last year sat in on their HR department, and I understand a lot of their, when their mentors met with their mentees and stuff like that. But it just seems like people just throw that around, but it could just be super casual. Like, I just sit next to the guy that's been here for five years, and he told me, good job today. That's, like, my mentoring for the week. And so mm. to exactly your point, people just kind of don't really know what they're getting into. Will the people actually fulfill their promises of like mentoring someone what actually like how do you become a good mentor like how do you even know you're doing a good job mentoring because you've, you've been around this long like based on what people are doing to you right so I think it's really helpful that you kind of offer that service to people who kind of really understand how to actually grow their career even though things are going well for them mm -hmm. yeah so I think mentorship can come in so many forms these days I always say I mentored by Warren Buffett and all of the greats <laughs> because I literally read their books and you know all of the their best advice is found in these books and so you don't have to necessarily talk to somebody to get mentored there's so many different resources like books and podcast and YouTube even is like a university in itself um, but I would say that for mentorship the the difference between mentorship and coaching is that as a coach um, the client is always the expert so I'm not in the position to tell somebody what to do because I don't know anything about their needs. I don't know anything about their life, their personality, um, their desires. And so it would be really irresponsible for me to tell somebody what to do. Whereas I feel like a mentor, like the definition I have is somebody who has made it and they're basically drawing upon their own experiences. They're saying, you know, this worked for me, so this is what you should do. And so I think that's really important to um, it's an important distinction because when, just because something worked for somebody doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for that person that's getting the advice, right? And also that person might not be so ready to follow exactly what this other person did, right? Like if I, like this person got a job through posting on LinkedIn, which I see a lot, like people will post so vulnerably, I got laid off. Does anybody have any leads for me? Right. Yeah. But for somebody else who is so terrified of public display or putting themselves out there, even if you gave them that advice, they wouldn't run with it. Right. And so as a coach, I'm more interested in understanding what, what is it that you would feel comfortable with doing and then helping them come up with that strategy on their own. But 
I, I kind of went on a tangent. So going back to your question about like, what, what are good mentors? I think a mentor is just somebody who you really admire and you want to build a long-term relationship with them so that anytime you are having a specific issue, um, you really trust their advice and you're able to ask them and really take that advice and implement it. I think that's the big thing. And then update them on how, how well it went. And I think the biggest mistake I see a lot of corporate professionals make, or just people in general, is that they'll ask for advice, but they don't, they won't follow through. And then it doesn't give that mentor any motivation to continue moving forward, right? Because everybody's most precious commodity is their time. And so you really want to show that you value their time by actually following through with what it is that they're saying. And I think that's where coaching is actually really important because, you know, coaching is an investment and I have seen people show up for themselves just because they're like, I need to recoup my investment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to do whatever Emily tells me to do and I'm going to, I'm going to hold myself accountable. So I think that's like the big differences and distinctions between mentoring and coaching. Yeah. It's nice that you don't take like a cookie cutter approach to your clients, right? It's like, I'm going to do A through Z in weeks like one through five and then I'm done. Like you definitely can come at it understanding each person individually, what they're comfortable with, what they're willing to do, what they're looking to do. It's very fluid and adjustable and flexible in that regard. Yeah, very customized because not everybody's going for the same industry. Not everyone's going for the same level or title and not everybody has the same background, right? And so it's not a cookie cutter approach. Um, You can't really box people in. And I think that's the problem I see so much on online these days is people will ask a general question (laughs) and so many people have opinions and you'll notice like they're varying opinions, right? Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I'm like, wait, how can anybody responsibly answer this without knowing the exact situation or what this person's needs are, right? And so I actually try to steer away from those types of forums because I feel like it's almost a disservice to just give out advice that is so general because it's not this one size fits all when it comes to career. Yeah, I mean, I've seen nothing against um, people that put together kind of uh, video series on things of that nature and people like, but I think your point is people need to take some of the grain of salt, like understand like this is kind of the general recommendation, but then kind of mold it to how it's going to fit you and why and apply it appropriately. Like for instance, if I was going to go on a date, I'm like, well, my favorite date spot is like a place that serves like steaks and the person happens to be vegetarian. Like, it's not going to be a second date. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm accustomed to. (laughs) Hey, if you're taking me to a steak spot, I'm, I would go on a second date. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what I want to get into, right? So I want to bring you on. You Great great input so far. I want to dive into some things that people don't think about too much. How to handle themselves in interviews and like a networking perspective, mm-hmm. both from dressing themselves, eating, things of that nature, right? Okay. Like I actually used to have a boss that I am shocked that she had ran her own company because we would go to dinner, like to lunch or something with a client and her arm would be like across the table and she's just like shoveling food into her mouth. <laughs> like how in the world have you done business with people when you are like eating like this? But <laughs> so, so let's, uh, let's start from the beginning. So, um, I'm a client of yours. I'm telling you, I have an interview coming up on Monday. How do you prepare me from, 
uh, to dress professionally, to dress not over the top, not too much. Like, what are some of your tips on how to dress appropriately for an interview? Yeah, so I think it's really important to understand the industry you're in. Um, I used to recruit a lot for the Bay Area, and I literally had some tech clients who told me, you know, Emily, if this person comes dressing up in a suit, we're not going to hire them. They're not mm -hmm. going to be a good cultural match, right? But likewise, I used to recruit a lot for law firms. And if you came in sneakers, jeans, and a t-shirt, they'd be like, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> you know? And so I think it really depends on what the industry is and what the company is. Um, I would always say like, if in doubt, it's completely acceptable to reach out to the recruiting coordinator and ask, do you mind sharing what the dress code for this interview is? Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's better to over communicate than under communicate. And if you're entirely not sure, then you should at least ask. Um, a lot of companies, though, you know, companies are getting really sophisticated with their hiring processes and on their company career page, they will tell you how to prepare for interviews. And oftentimes they will put their dress code in there. So always double check and do your research before reaching out. But if in doubt, you know, really understand who your industry is like what is your target and really think about what can I do to not be over the top, um, meaning like too flashy. But here's the thing is if you're going in for like a creative or a fashion editor role, right? You want to show that you have creativity and fashion, um, good fashion sense, mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's just really dependent on the audience. And if again, in doubt, check their website, if still in doubt, then I would say it's appropriate to ask the recruiting coordinator or whoever sent you the confirmation. It definitely caught me off guard, like um, the first kind of contract gig I had here in Chicago after I moved here, um, I took some time off for about three years, I was working more on the product side uh, for a digital agency and then a tech company, and I interviewed this guy maybe my first week at this company, and I got like dressed up for the interview, and the guy shows up in a fairly nice um, kind of polo. It was like an American Eagle one. It was actually, it wasn't like trash. It was like, but, and then and I said to my, my boss, I'm like, why would we hire this guy? He goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, he came in like an American Eagle outfit. Like, he was, yeah, he was pretty good to me. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Like, it's, it was definitely a culture, right? But, and yeah. then, like, once and twice, I would like wear like a suit jacket, like in the office for whatever reason I was doing after work. I'm like, hey, man, like, nice suit. I'm like, yeah. Like, I just like, did, well, accustomed to this kind of, that kind of culture, it's like, Put a suit jacket on. Some people had suit jackets on were in sales and whatnot. Like, what are you going on? I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm like going to a nice dinner. Like, it's okay if I wear my jacket to work. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's just very, uh, to your point of culturally appropriate what to wear, not what to wear. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it goes to show just how subjective the recruiting process is, right? And um, it really depends on the person that you're interviewing with, like how you make them feel. But I would say that generally speaking, it's probably better to be a little bit more conservative than um, <laughs> somebody who sticks out like crazy. Unless again, in the job description, they're saying like, we want somebody who's bold and super unique, right? Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to glean from job descriptions as well. So when you're going to do a networking event, some people get dressed up in suits some people kind of come as they are. What are your recommendations there? Because I feel the, there's certain networks here in Chicago, at least, that if someone's in a suit and they make eye contact with you, run their way because they're going to sell you life insurance or something else. <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
Wow, you're super observant. Um, I would actually just imagine that depending on the industry, like if you're going to a specific industry event, you can kind of think about how would they be dressing if they were going into work, right? And they were just leaving work and attending this event. So, you know, again, going back to Silicon Valley, um, there's a lot of tech startups where literally like you look at these campuses and you feel like everybody's in college, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they have like their company logo swag and they're wearing like hoodies and they have backpacks on and their jeans and sneakers. Um, but you know, it would be totally appropriate to attend an event and really dressed really casually if that's like the industry that you're in. Um, but if you're, for instance, going to more of like a professional organization, maybe it's just a, you know, national association of marketing, for instance, um, and you're not entirely sure, I would, just kind of think about how would I want to dress if I were going into my dream company or my dream job, right? And I think that's a good rule of thumb because most networking events are after hours. Like usually they start around 5.30 to 6. And so most people are coming from work. But I think if you can really tap into what kind of company do I want to work for? How are those employees dressed? Like that's how I want to show up, right? Or if you're just coming from work yourself and you are wearing what you're wearing, then you don't really have a choice unless you want to bring a change of clothes. But Mm. I, I would always like, there's a, there's a practice that I always do is like, if I'm already in the position that I want to be in, or I'm already, I've already achieved the goals that I want to be in. Like, how would I act or feel or what would I believe or say or do? And so I like to operate from that level. So for instance, if your goal is, I want to be a director of a company, you know, as a director, if you were already that person today, what would you be dressing like? And why not just show up as that version of you? Yeah, that's very solid advice. I definitely agree with that. And then people are like, well, I heard that Mark Zuckerberg just wears sweatshirts with like a hoodie, so I'm just going to wear that. Okay, dude, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> if that makes you comfortable and you want to work in tech, then go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, what would you recommend for people handling food, drink, uh, open networking kind of scene, right? So I walk a networking event, I get my raffle ticket or whatever it is you're giving out, you kind of walk around and then uh, they have finger foods out, they have bars you can go to. How do you kind of balance all that? Because obviously you're going to be wanting to shake hands, uh, start new conversations, um, just kind of walk us through any advice you have in that, in that realm, like how to kind of handle yourself handling all the food and drinks throughout the night. Yeah. So I struggle with this because I love food. (laughs) And at the same time, I know that sometimes food can be messy. And so I really have to pace myself or hold myself back sometimes, which um, I have gotten into the habit of now just if I want to eat, I'll actually like excuse myself and I'll just like break out for like five minutes on my own and just eat whatever I can and then I'll return back. But typically I don't really like to have food in my hand or in my mouth as I speak to people. Um, but for me, like if I'm at a networking event, I typically do order a drink because I actually think that's a good opening line. Like what's, what are you drinking tonight? Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you're both gin enthusiasts or you're both wine lovers, that's, um, a really fun conversation to have versus what do you do, which is like what a lot of people start with. And it could be a really overwhelming and also not giving you a chance to really build the rapport. 
But I always have this thing where if I am ordering, like I'm taking a finger food, I always grab with my left hand just because I know I'm going to be shaking with my right like throughout the night. And so I'm a very like germaphobic person. <laughs> and so I'm really, really conscious of that. But yeah, even if it's like a finger food and I'm talking to somebody, I'll probably just put it on a napkin and hold it, but actually not eat it until we part ways. And then again, I'll scarf it down um, just because I'm really self-conscious about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely uh, been to my fair share of networking events. When I moved to Chicago, um, the tech company I was running kind of fell apart. So I had, like, I pretty much had the, the Chicago summer, right? I had nothing to do, just looking for work. So I went to networking events every night. And mm-hmm. it's crazy. I still remember the first networking event that I had the guts to, like, go to that was straight up, like, networking. It wasn't, like, a tech one. It was actually going to want to meet people. I actually still talked to, like, five or six people I met there that night. But I just remember just hovering around the food and, like, trying to make jokes with people, like, about the food. Because I just, like, didn't know what to talk about. <laughs> 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 or just, like, so, it's, it's, I mean, I guess to my point, like, when we is like, you want to be able to go talk to people and have kind of openers and... And, you know, conversation starters with people, and but mm-hmm. you also don't want to starve or like have two cocktails and then you know you get like to a, a sobriety level that's not appropriate for a networking <laughs> event. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's definitely fun. So like, well, like let's, let's take it one more step further. Let's say you actually meet someone for coffee or um, lunch. How do you kind of handle that? Because you can't really step away uh, from a food perspective, like both need to sit there and eat and communicate. What were some tips there? Yeah, so I think for coffee, that's like my favorite because it is really short. Like, mm-hmm. I love how you used a dating analogy earlier, and I associate so much of job searching to dating. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're, um, when you're dating, like, to ask somebody for lunch or dinner is kind of a big commitment because <laughs> yeah. if you realize five minutes in, we're not a match, it's like, oh, well now we have to wait for the server to come and the bill to come. And, you know, it's a long period of time. Whereas I feel like coffee is a lot more fluid and it's also a little bit more casual. Right. Um, but for coffee, I think that one's pretty safe. Like there's nothing that's going to be stuck in your teeth or like on your mouth. And you don't have to worry about not being able to talk as you, like intake, whatever it is, because it's pretty, it's a fluid, so it goes down pretty quick. Um, But for lunch, I would say that it's always nice when you can eat something that's not messy. Yeah. <laughs> like it, I typically, even though I never order salads outside, if I do meet with somebody and there's salad on a menu that actually looks decent, I may just opt for that just cause I know it's like the easiest thing um, versus like something that is really crunchy and it takes, you know, like it's a, on a baguette <laughs> and it takes forever to chew or like the steak is really raw and it's like, Oh my gosh. But that being said, I think too that, a lot of people are very observant and I remember taking a candidate out so when I used to be a recruiter, I would have to take candidates out for lunch all the time. And it's really interesting to observe like how people conduct themselves. And I remember this one person who literally ordered like the most expensive item on the menu. And, um, they also ordered an appetizer and they ordered a drink. And I remember like my company budget at the time was generally like $25 for each person. And he definitely made me go over and it it just like kind of settled a lot about him, you know, like he would expect like 
something grand. Um, now, I don't know if he's just a big foodie and he was really hungry, but <laughs> I think that it's really important to just like know your audience and go for something a little bit safe. Um, I personally, like when I go out and like, if I'm on an interview, I'll actually like order last just to see like what the other person orders. Um, but you know, I'll always have like what I want and just making sure it's like it within a reasonable price point And it's not like the most expensive thing, right? That's my big tip for those that are being treated on interviews. And also I think what's important to note is that a lot of the times like recruiters are gauging how you interact with like the server, right? And how is it that you conduct yourself? Are you polite or are you like overbearing with them? You know, that all is, you're just being interviewed this whole time on how you conduct yourself as a human. And I think that's really important for people to note because I think a lot of job seekers feel like once they're not in the interview interview room, like the interview was over, but it's actually just a full process. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think even when, when you start your job, people are still judging that. Like, how is this mm-hmm. person acting? Like, I, mean, I, 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 I interviewed this one guy at the company. He, he came in on a Sunday afternoon, too. Like, our entire team of, like, four leading people came to meet him on a Sunday afternoon. Not only did the guy not know how to navigate Chicago, like, I told I gave him directions to get to our office from where he was standing, and he walked the complete opposite direction. I was like, okay, dude. And then he took a phone call. Like, not even answer the phone call, but he looked at his phone that was ringing and thought about it. Like, in the interview, it's kind of like you have to just use your gut feeling sometimes with people. Mm-hmm. You can't just kind of breeze over stuff. Like, so if someone does something that catches you off guard that's not kind of ideal as, like, a good human, they probably yeah. won't be a good person to work with either. Like... Yeah. I mean, I always tell my clients, you have to think about it. Like most companies, they'll interview you for 30 minutes or an hour before they have to make a decision. You better make sure that within that hour, you're putting out the best version of yourself. Right. Um, and this is very much true for like first dates. (laughs) You don't necessarily show all, all sides to you, but you bring the very first version so that hopefully there's a second date or a second interview. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had my fair share of first dates that didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> On your part or the other person? Yeah, both. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but like, I do like stand-up comedy, and one of uh, one of my yeah, usual sets is, is actually I was about uh, is about my, my dating life, and like and the best part is like half the people in the room relate to like, yes, I know, like I went on a date with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, so get, get this long story. So I, I, my brother's looking for someone to join his team right now. He works in private equity. Mm-hmm. And the person that I referred over to him to interview, uh, I met him because I went on a date with a girl before I moved to Chicago. Didn't work out. We became friends. And then she started dating someone a long time who is now her ex-fiance. And her ex-fiance is roommate is this guy and I found out he's looking for a job because his wife who I've been talking like a year and a half came to my HR event last Wednesday and now he might go work for my brother <laughs> wow that's wonderful so my, my, my point is like just keep going on a date with someone doesn't go well it doesn't mean out of the world because you might end up like yeah. working for him down the line <laughs> that's such a great opportunity <laughs> so 
tell us a little bit about your uh, food adventures in LA. Rumor has it there's uh, some cool places to check out there. Yeah, the amount of food out here is insane. Um, I think I read somewhere that there's, uh, I forget, I'm not going to quote it because I'm going to get it wrong, but basically there's a lot of different food options. And I, I don't know if I told you, but I had a food blog when I started, when I left corporate, like right. before becoming a career coach, I actually started a food blog. And it's kind of funny because at the time I was a little bit broke given that I, um, quit my job to go mm. travel. And so I was definitely on a budget. And whenever we would go out, we would literally use the filter for the $1 sign. And I love, I don't know, like even to this day, you know, I have more stable income and I can definitely afford like a $2 sign restaurant. <laughs> but to this day, I still look out for the dollar sign restaurants because I just feel like LA is such a cool hodgepodge of different like ethnicities and um, it's really like a cultural melting pot. But one of the things that I love out here are actually like taco trucks. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I do all the time is go to a taco truck and I just order like the different um, Al Pastor tacos and just see which one is the best. Um, but so far there's a place called Leo's taco truck. Um, it, I think they have two taco trucks now they're expanding. Cause they're so good. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of like one of my go-to spots. And then I am okay to be on the complete end of that. <laughs> I love sushi. And so, um, sushi is something that I'm continuously just looking out for in terms of delicious, fresh fish. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's actually, a, cause there's like a little Tokyo here. So there's actually a lot of authentic Japanese restaurants and there's a chain out here called Kazunori, which makes really, really good fresh hand rolls. Like oh, wow. They will only serve it at serve it to you at the bar, and um, they tell you to like eat it right away while it's still warm, and it's just so delicious. Yeah, I don't know much about sushi. I'm learning. Um, there's a down the street from my friend's restaurant is a restaurant we go to after they close. It's called uh, Matsuya here in town. It's mm -hmm. kind of, we were like such regular customers between ten or three p.m. and close for them, and we literally walk in and the chef goes, "Oh, gather here." And we're like, hey, where is your uni from? If it's not from someone we like, we walk out. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, what we did one time we did it. We were just walking by to say hi to the chef. Like, uh -huh. where's your uni from? He goes, oh, God. He goes, Mexico. We walked out. <laughs> Oh, is that not good quality then? Uh, we were just joking about that. We came back like three hours oh. later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. I'm like, I don't know too much. I just know if it tastes good or not. Yeah, yeah. We, always, we always ask him, and then he was kind of giving us the lowdown of, uh, he said the California stuff is usually really good, sometimes gets from Canada, sometimes from South America and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like it's quite like all call like where's your uni from? He goes JP like we know it's you. You just you know stop calling. <laughs> we know you're coming tonight. It's Wednesday night. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, so have you seen the new movie with uh, Ali Wong? Uh, I will. I will always be your maybe. I saw half of it. Okay, so not because I didn't like it. Um, it's just really late. Okay. And I had to hit pause. So, uh, well, in in the movie, like I don't know if you got to this part yet, but but uh, Ali Wong starts dating Keanu Reeves. And he, mm -hmm. uh, four of them go out to this really nice dinner, and oh, the yeah, dinner is that. over six thousand dollars. And my favorite <laughs> part of the entire movie is Keanu Reeves covers the check, right? And mm -hmm. he goes, "Don't worry, that's less than a, a one royalty check I get for my hit movie, Speed." 
<laughs> but just that whole scene is very kind of, you know, foodie uh, L.A.E., right? Where everything's kind of super extreme. You don't even know what you're eating and stuff like that. And I'm all about trying stuff like that, but I'm definitely more on board with you where you go to have the authentic stuff, the food trucks, the small yeah. places, that's mom and pop, because they don't have people who aren't in the kitchen making decisions. The people in the yeah. kitchen are making the decisions. Definitely. I don't know if I'm just not, I haven't developed like a sophisticated palate, but I come from like a very frugal background mm-hmm. and hence the dollar signs. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And never go to a contemporary restaurant, I just like, mm, I guess I have to like start training my brain to believe quality over quantity. But mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you get like a white plate and it's like 90% white. And then there's like one, I like one piece of whatever on there. And I'm just like, I can't believe this dish is like $20, you know? Yeah. And I, but then I realized like, maybe I just don't have a sophisticated palate yet. Sure. <laughs> um, but that's what I like about all these other places. It's like, you get a lot for your buck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember that scene and like the experiential type of dining. I've actually never tried that before, but that looks really interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's always a million things to do in life, right? So yeah. people need to make sure they're happy in their careers, happy at home. You know, happy wife is happy life. That's why I've been... Yep. Todd. Yep. And then then you can go and have fun, right? Like, figure out stuff you're passionate about. I mean, people always ask me why I start this podcast. I was like, I had a bunch of time in my hands, and it was something that I could work towards, and then I could control everything or all aspects of it. And Mm -hmm. now I've met some, like, amazing people. Probably, if I get married, someone that's going to stand up at my wedding, I met from stalking on Instagram, came on my podcast, and now he and I are super, super close, because he kept, like, asking me to hang out afterwards. I was just like... Hey, I don't really know that many people in Chicago. I'll hang out with you, man. And I, would, I go to my friend's favorite restaurant, my favorite restaurant, my friend's place that he invited me to, and just stuff like that. So just, you know, end of the day, yeah. you know, appreciate everything that uh, you've said so far. Anything you want to leave our listeners with before we sign off? Well, I was just going to say, I love how you infused your passions into something that is also just really great for your career, right? Like you learned so much about somebody learned so much about you just by listening in. And also I could tell like you're learning so many new skills through this, right? Because you're learning how to interview. Well, I'm sure as a recruiter, you already knew how to do that, but you're also, um, yeah, it's just really cool. Cause I'm guessing you have to like be able to market this. Right. And it's just like a lot of fun. Um, but I like what you mentioned about how we, have to make the most out of our life. And I completely agree with that. If there's something that you really want to do and you haven't yet pursued it, like what's really stopping you. Right. And so that being said, maybe I will go for experiential dining <laughs> this, this upcoming week <laughs> instead of just being curious, like what's that all about? Maybe I'll go do it and maybe I'll love it. <laughs> and then you're going to call your clients. Um, we had a crisis at home. Your, uh, you know, new fee is double what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, you only live once. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Well, thanks, Emily. Appreciate coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. What a good, fun, exciting conversation. I personally believe that one of the greatest statements of all time when people talk about bubbles bursting or the race for whatever so insert like talent or uh, you know the fight for talent stuff like that the best phrase i like is when everyone's racing for gold sell shovels (laughs) right 
Emily has positioned herself to help people in the tight job markets, the markets where people aren't responsive as recruiters and job boards and all that. She's helping you find ways to find jobs. For a couple of years, I actually found jobs without even having a resume. I actually threw my resume away for a couple of years, but then I had to kind of you know, dusted off the old resume to get some few new jobs recently, but it's been a ton of fun. I hope you guys really enjoyed this. One thing I would like to point out though, is she is doing a live challenge on June 20th. For those that are looking for help in navigating their job search and want to land a dream job quicker, consider signing up for Emily's free five day live challenge that kicks off June 20th, a couple days away. For five days, she's going to walk you through the mindset and strategies it takes to become a dream candidate in today's marketplace. Link in the bio. Definitely check it out. I know I'm signing up for it right now. This episode is sponsored by Bites Kitchen. The best of times are always shared at the table. Good food, good drinks, good stories, good friends. Wish I had any of those. <laughs> at Bites, they believe that good food is more than merely a part of survival. It is their passion. It has the power of transcend language, cultures, and ethnic backgrounds. Through food, they share their culture with new friends and old. They share a piece of who they are. And by coming together for meals, they trade good stories while creating new ones. At Bites, they want you to celebrate cultures from around the world. They've been inspired by Thailand, China, Japan, Korea, and more. They are also excited by the opportunity to continue creating new recipes. Food is always better when shared amongst friends, and that is how they shape their menu. With creative cocktails and a menu that is constantly evolving, a new story always awaits you at Bites. Show up, I guarantee you see me sitting with my Buddha in my hand. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Pod Directory, or SoundCloud. That way, you'll get our latest episodes sent right to your device when they come out every week. For reference, those are all linked up right in the show notes. While you're in there, feel free to leave us a review. If you do, all I can say is two words. Endless gratitude. Writing reviews helps us understand how we can improve the podcast as we all continue along this fun adventure in fashion, fitness, and food.